Sinner, if you ask me how Christ can save you, I tell you this, he can save you because he did not save himself. He can save you because he took your guilt and endured your punishment. There is no way of salvation apart from the satisfaction of divine justice. Either the sinner must die or else someone must die for him. Welcome back to the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than most. We are going to be discussing an article that we truly disagree with. And we don't want to do so in such an unloving way, but we also, we also need the truth to be, to be told and, and to be heard. So it will be a little bit different. We will not be diving into Scripture the same way as just expositing it. But rather, we're going to be comparing Scripture to the, to the very article we are talking about right now. As always, I'm Braden Friesen. That's Ben Martins. Hey. And that's Derek Friesen. Hello. And uh, we're the Gospel Enthusiasts. We're very excited to have you along with us. With that being said, we're probably going to just dive right on in today. Um, it's going to be a little less structured than normal. But with that being said, Derek, let's, let's go right into the article. Oh, yeah. So this article came up on social media, and uh, someone was refuting it on my Facebook page, and that's how I saw it, and so I decided to read it, and uh, did not like what it said, (laughs) and I remember bringing it up, like we mentioned last week on the podcast, uh, I remember bringing it up with you two, and... The band? You you were... uh, No, not. No Bono. No bother. Um, mm. But I brought it up with you guys, and you had the exact same response as me, which was a bit of righteous anger and some pity. Um, and so, yeah, this was posted on a Christian website, and we're not <clears throat> refu- refuting it for the sense of that a lot of people we know are going to read it, but it is possible that it will that it could come up that people could read it and uh it's just false and so we want to correct it and um in the same time get a little bit of practice defending the faith right so absolutely um nonetheless i shall start and you'll know why it upset us right off the get-go from the headline of the article well we're gonna break it down um piece by piece we're just gonna go um, paragraph by paragraph, yeah. and that way um, it's easier for, for everyone to understand. So, But first, let's start with the title. Ooh. The title of the article is, Jesus Did Not Die on the Cross for Our Sins, with the subtitle being, The Idea That Jesus Paid the Price Isn't Found in the Bible. Wrong. Wrong. Very wrong. So, one thing I noticed from reading this article, whenever the, the idea of pay the price comes up, uh, the, the author seems stuck on the term, right? Stuck on the sure. term pay the price. And yeah. while the term paid the price 
is not in the Bible, does not appear in that form in the Bible, that does not make the concept incorrect. Right. Uh, that'd be the same way you can look at Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but if you read Scripture, the Trinity is the proper understanding and the proper concept. Yes, to it exists. Yeah. Yes. It's absolutely, yeah. So, first paragraph. When you ask a Christian why Jesus died on the cross, they will almost automatically all answer to pay for our sins. This has become a deep-rooted Christian belief that is widely taught in churches around the world. It has been accepted by many as Christian doctrine and been passed down from generation to generation. It's a statement that has been accepted as fact and one that is foundation for many Christians. Therefore, it may come to us as a surprise then to say that the Bible doesn't actually say this. No matter how hard you search, you will not find a single passage in the entire Bible that says anything about Jesus paying the penalty for our sins. That's because this, Christ, this is a Christian belief that the Bible does not teach. Rather, it was a theology created by humans. And I know you guys are just raring to go on this, so I'm just going <laughs> to let you take off on this. For good. All right. Let's, let's go right back to the first sentence of, of this whole article. And should, um, the author goes and says, When you ask a Christian why Jesus died on the cross, they will almost automatically all answer to pay for our sins. And they should. For the fact that Jesus was the spotless lamb. True Christians know that Jesus was a spotless lamb. As Exodus 12 talks about the Passover lamb that was spotless and covered them from um, God going in and, and um, destroying. destroying and protected them. As does Jesus cover us. He is the spotless lamb mm -hmm. and paying the penalty for our sins. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. His word promises the Messiah as a ransom for many. According to the article that pre we previously discussed, and I'm moving on now to the second, third, fourth sentences here where it has talk talks about it has been accepted by many as Christian doctrine and been passed down from generation to generation. It's a statement that's been accepted as fact and one that is foundation for many Christians. But... Last week, we discussed an article in, in, our, in our small news segment about two-thirds of Christians, and I'm using air quotes here, two-thirds of Christians believe they can work their way to heaven. That they can do enough good works to satisfy the Lord and to make it to heaven and not go to hell. According to that article... That is what today's modern Christians believe. But, but here it says it's been, this has been accepted as fact that Jesus paid for our sins. If Jesus paid for our sins, then we can do nothing. I, I don't know if you guys are understanding the point I'm trying to make here, but they, those two contradict themselves. There's, there's so little faith in what Christ did on the cross that we can try to work our way into heaven. Yeah, like it, it uh, like I said, they completely contradict themselves. Either uh, the work is complete and Christ's work on the cross is complete and salvation comes directly from Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Yeah. Or 
that was completely unnecessary and we can work our salvation and do good good deeds and that that was just kind of like a nice gesture although i don't understand how that's a nice gesture at all well, we'll get to that later in the article <laughs> yeah um and then we get to uh uh unless you had more on it but then i want to go to the next sentence on the next uh paragraph here therefore it may come as a surprise to you that the bible doesn't actually say this and we i can, just whew, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot to un, to 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 get to there um and i'm gonna i'm gonna just uh say a couple of verses unless derek you wanted to oh i was just gonna make a point that we could actually end this discussion with one verse but we're not going to right it will be in there <laughs> um Mark we're 10 45 it's it's uh, <laughs> I I don't understand the the angle of of the author on 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 this paper, but um, I'm gonna go back all the way to Genesis. Uh, Genesis three fifteen is uh, God talking to uh, to Eve uh, about the promise of Christ, about how her seed will crush uh, the the serpent's head, and and his seed will bruise uh, uh, his heel like Christ's heel. Um, then when you go to Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2 this is when God is commanding Abraham to take his son his only only son and uh, uh, sac- essentially sacrifice his son mm-hmm. um, which is imagery that it's, it's foreshadowing right uh, and then when we get to uh, verses 12 and 13 that's when God says no um, you have been faithful and uh, there's a, a ram in the thicket and he God commands him to take Isaac off the altar and to use the ram instead. Um, so that's that's a lot of foreshadowing there. Then you go to Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. I'm just going to read them off. Uh, Basically all of Isaiah 53. <laughs> you really could read all of Isaiah 53. I think it wouldn't be a bad idea anyway. Um, but just to pinpoint exactly what we're uh, trying to say. Um, uh, verses 5 and 6 to read as, as follows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid him, uh, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, yeah. And if we look at Isaiah 53, um, verse 12, it says, Yet he, and, and Isaiah is talking about Jesus, Yet he himself bore the sin of many. Mm-hmm. Like right, right there. Um, you know, it, it's it's pretty, pretty clear cut. Um, but the thing is, the Bible is full of this kind of language. It's not just a one-off. This is a, a very recurring theme in the Bible. Yeah. And so, what we're talking about here is Jesus being the propitiation for our sin. Mm-hmm. Propitiation means to appease, to make right. First um, John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but, for, but also for those of the whole world. Just as First John 4 9 through 10 says, 
By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to go to, uh, just to throw one more in there, Romans 3, verse 21 through 25. Um, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And so that uh, word, the Greek word in used in John is halasmos, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and in Romans is halasterion, and they come from the same root, but it's, like you said earlier, it's a means of appeasing. Mm-hmm. And uh, an expiatory sacrifice meaning it has the power to atone for yeah so the author continues by saying that's because this is a quote unquote christian belief that the bible doesn't teach rather it was theology created by humans what i would say to that is this is taught everywhere in the bible the reason jesus was to die was to fulfill and appease the wrath of god to save us from the eternal punishment that we are due what purpose does Jesus' death serve if not to give us freedom from sin and to save us from the wrath of God? His death was to reconcile us to himself, as it says in 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21 If, Ben, you want to read that. Yeah, I got it right here. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not inputting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm-hmm. And I was reading on that, uh, those exact verses earlier in the day, and I looked up the Greek word for that reconciled, um, and pardon my pronunciation, it's katalasso and it means a restoration of to favor and it had a secondary definition in there which was like a financial or a business term and it meant an exchange of equivalent values which is kind of fitting so the article continues the technical theological name for this belief is penal penal substitutionary atonement This theology was not part of Christian doctrine for the first 1,600 years after Jesus was crucified. The ideas were originated and developed by human beings who were having trouble understanding what the Bible teaches about how Jesus Christ saved humanity. They worked with what they could to better understand Jesus' teachings, but missed the mark. 
This led to a creation of a belief that wasn't really based on the Bible. Thoughts? Well, she says, miss the mark, and I will say, you miss the mark, mark 10, uh, pun intended. <laughs> 1045. 10.45. But I would say this belief has been around since the Bible was written. Exactly. In, in, oh, sorry. Yeah, Mark 10.45, which gives states, us the very outline of the ransom that Christ paid. Yeah, 10.45 says, uh, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. It's pretty... Uh, Pretty well, I'll. Do you want to give the definition of I'll ransom? I'll just give the definition of ransom, wouldn't that? Yeah. We can we can just shut her down right after this, I guess. No, we'll finish the we'll article. We'll finish but... the rest of the article. Ransom is a payment required to release someone from punishment or slavery. To ransom, redeem, satisfy divine justice. Romans 3 25 and 26. And in the Merriam Webster Dictionary. Big word. Big word. Uh, the verb form of ransom is to free from captivity or punishment by paying a price. So, um, yeah. What, have uh, we, what conclusion have we drawn so far, boys? Jesus died to pay the price. To, to pay, pay the price of our sins. But anyways, mm-hmm. she noted there... But we digress. She noted there <laughs> that this was not a Christian doctrine... For the first 1600 years after Jesus was crucified, which I assume she means uh, was created during the Reformation, uh, but I looked at I looked up some facts and, like we stated, it's a, it's in the Bible, first of all. But early church fathers believe this too, and I have some quotes. Uh, let's start with the second century work, the Epistle to Diog- Diognetus. Names back then were great. And when we had demonstrated that we were powerless to enter the kingdom of God on our own, and we were enabled by the or we were enabled by the power of God, for our unrighteous way of life came to fruition, and it became perfectly clear that it could expect only punishment and death as its ultimate reward. But then, when the time arrived that God planned to reveal at last his goodness and power, Oh, the supreme beneficence of God, oh, beneficence and love of God. He did not hate us, destroy us, or hold a grudge against us. But he was patient, he bore with us, and out of pity he took our sins upon himself. He gave up his own son as a ransom for us, the holy one for the lawless, the innocent for the wicked, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the imperishable one for the perishable, the immortal one for the mortal. I move on to the late 3rd, early 4th century, where Eusebius says, And the Lamb of God not only did this, but was chastised on our behalf and suffered a penalty he did not owe, but which we owed because of the multitude for our sin of our sins. And so he became the cause of forgiveness of our sins, because he received death for us, and transferred to himself the scourging, the insults, the dishonor which were due to us, and drew down on himself the apportioned curse, being made a curse for us. We can move on to John Chrysostom in the 4th century as well. 
He received the curse instead of being liable to it. And through it, he lifted the curse. Or lifted this curse. Just as when someone is condemned to death, another innocent person who chooses to die for him releases him from that punishment. So Christ also did. Look at Augustine in the early 5th, late 4th century. This, the faith has known of the one and only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who condescended to undergo death, that is, the penalty of sin, without sin for us. As he alone became the Son of Man, in order that we might become, through him, sons of God, so he alone, on our behalf, undertook punishment without ill deservings, that we, through him, might obtain grace without good deservings. Because as to nothing... Good was due, so to him nothing bad was due. Therefore, commending his love to them to whom he was about to give undeserved life, he was willing to suffer for them an undeserved death. And uh, there's many more that I found in the 4th century, the 5th century, the 8th century, the 14th century, all before the Reformation actually took place. Yeah, well, it's not new. It's not new. Uh, This is... Yeah, it's been around since creation. Um, Jesus himself testified of his death before uh, it happened in, uh, what was it here? Luke 9, verse 22, and 9, verse 44, and then Luke 18, verse 31 to 34. Um, So he knew about it. He knew the purpose of of why he was on earth. Um, And so, I mean, really these, these beliefs are based on the Bible, notably. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I get, I understand that people often get hooked on the the terms, mm-hmm. and the term sure. penal substitutionary atonement. And it's it, while it may be true that that term came up later, the fact that the theological name uh, came up later does not mean the concept and understanding weren't there earlier. Well, the concept is not anything new. No. Because if you're looking at... Um, Isaiah, and you're looking at the prophets, you're looking at the Old Testament, that is far before Christ came to earth. And then he um, declared it himself. And then Paul and Peter and John all wrote about it. Mm -hmm. So when you have this idea that it's all been, you know, where, where people are so fixated on, on the term and not the actual um, definition of the term, it's really easy to um, think, oh, this is a new idea that people are trying to push. But in reality, this is a true biblical doctrine that ought to be looked at, ought to be um, understood. It's crucial for salvation, I believe. That I would agree. We have to realize that... W- through our Jesus didn't die just you know for the sake of hey I want to show you I love you so much and I'm just going to die yeah. it just doesn't make sense yeah yeah like what's what's the point you know yeah well the, like the focus on, during the early century like the early church fathers might not necessarily have been total totally on this aspect of the atonement Mm-hmm. And it seems that it was more amplified during the Reformation. Um, the fact that it, it it was still there, it it 
just because it was amplified later on doesn't mean it wasn't there earlier. Right. So. Um. Yeah. Unless you guys have anything else, I figured we'd go to the next uh, next paragraph here. Um. And it's written as follows: There are some limited verses that speak about Jesus' death in relation to our sins, but they only pointed to Jesus' death somehow being related to our sins, but not that his death was a substitute or penalty because of our sins. His death did not scrub us clean of, of sins we would commit in the future or give us a free-for-all pass to do whatever we wanted. His death is not an excuse for our sins, which the penal substitutionary atonement alludes to. So once again, I'm just going to go back right to, to the word ransom. If we look at 1 Timothy 2... Five and six. Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And I will jump to first Peter seventeen to twenty one. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time on earth knowing that you were not redeemed, another word there used is ransomed, uh, not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited by your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And that, like that word redeemed there is lutros. Mm -hmm. And it, it means redeemed and also means ransomed. And it, the secondary definition there says to redeem, which is described as liberate by the payment of ransom. Yes. So when she says there are, you know, some limited verses, I think at this point we've proved there's more than some limited verses. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So she alludes to this idea that this the the theological name, as she calls it, of penal substitutionary atonement, that we can have an excuse for sin, we can continue to sin willingly. Romans 6 refutes that. Yep. Romans 6, um, let me just quickly get here. I thought I had my notes all in order. All right. What shall we say then? Are we to, I'm starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized in the Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin and I, we continue like like even after our 
redemption after we have been redeemed we have been made new we sin that it it we sin there there's no two ways about it we do sin but we do no we no longer sin willingly mm-hmm. that's not our nature anymore because we're a new creature in Christ um those who believe in penal substitution believe that Jesus paid the debt we owed for sinning against God himself. They believe that Jesus went willingly to the cross, not out of punishment. He, Jesus, took the penalty upon himself. He did it out of love for the Father in Matthew 26, 36-39. We are new creatures in Christ, new desires and wants. We want to do the command of Jesus. We no longer long to sin. Mm-hmm. And to your point that we don't you know, we will still sin, but it's not a habit and not a living in sin. I go to John, 1 John 3, verse 4 to 10. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children... Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does nor the one who does not love his brother. And the talking there is about practicing sin. It's about a habit of sin. Mm-hmm. And I was looking up and I came across this quote by Spurgeon regarding those verses. He says, If this declaration related to any one act of sin, then none of us could ever say we have seen or known him. But it relates to the habit of sin. If we love sin and live in sin, if the main course of our life is sin, then we have not seen neither known him. And so no true Christian believes that they can just have a free pass to go on sinning. No, I I would say that she um, is misunderstanding the, the idea of what it means to be secure in in Christ and his sacrifice would be my would not my assumption but this is the conclusion that I've drawn from reading this article is that there's there's a vast misunderstanding there there's there's a gap there so i would agree with you no no true christian believes that we can continue to sin because a true christian has a regenerated heart and mind they're going to want to do the will of Christ. They're going to want to bear fruit. I remember a quote, and it's a par- I'm paraphrasing it, and I don't remember who said it, but it, it was basically along the lines of how can you continue to love the thing that put your Savior on the cross? Like, how can you continue to enjoy it? Like, enjoy sinning, mm. the sin that put your Savior on the cross. So. That is a... That's a that's a question that every Christian who feels so trapped in sin should ask themselves. How can I continue to give such a, a foothold to this? How can I continue to just allow this to have 
dominion over me. Like, you guys understand what I'm, mm-hmm. you know, trying to mm-hmm. say. It's yeah, but if you guys don't have more notes, let's move, move on, on to the next paragraph. Yeah. So the writer says this might seem like a nitpicky point. But the distinction that Jesus did not pay for our sins is vital in understanding salvation from the Christian perspective. There's a huge difference between the two ideas, and it can dictate how Christians run their lives. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, the Bible reads, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Dying for our sins is not the same, is not the same thing as dying to pay the penalty for our sins. If an innocent person dies because of another person's wrongdoing, the person who did wrong is still guilty. Whenever the Bible talks about penalties, it always attaches it always attaches them to the one who committed the offense. We are still held responsible responsible for the sins we commit. At the end, each of us will have to pay for our deeds, and there is no way around that. We are responsible for the totality of our actions. And go. I just have one note. The first note I had on this paragraph was the one verse she uses. It's the first Bible verse she's used in her article. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. But the title of the art, the entire article was, Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins. That's a contradictory, st- contradictory statement. Yep. She just defeated her own article by using the Bible. So let's go back to the first first sentence of, of this paragraph because first um, John one five through ten and I will read that for you. It says this This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, I looked up the the definition of this um, cleanse in this chapter what um, John is talking about here to cleanse is to purify by making atonement yep paid for our sins <laughs> yeah it's pretty pretty uh, self-explanatory you can literally throw it back to ransom yeah absolutely well, the the one note I had about I mean my notes were kind of on the later statements of, of, uh, of what you made in this paragraph, um, but my understanding of of the verses that we read um, is Jesus did not become a sinner on our behalf; he was a spotless lamb. Um, the verses did not shift guilt or blame. The Bible doesn't say that now Jesus became guilty of what we did. Um, it was our sins were laid on him, and he wasn't guilty of them. Um, the Bible never shifts blame. It never says that Jesus was guilty of these sins. It, it predominantly, like, like completely says, we are guilty of these sins. We are guilty, uh, and we deserve the punishment. The Bible does not commute the blame, but, but commutes the punishment. Mm-hmm. 
And the comment made there, if an innocent person dies because of another person's wrongdoing, the person who did wrong is still guilty. Um, first of all, just read it in reading that, I was confused by it, because it sounds like it's like, you know, if a person, innocent person dies because someone did wrongdoing to them, that's almost what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were murdered or something. Yeah. Yep. Then, of course, the person who did it is guilty. But what they don't take into account is that Jesus did not die innocent, like 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 in the way that he went to the cross willingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was innocent, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. But he he chose yeah. to die. This like this perspective suggests that the innocent died unwillingly. Mm-hmm. This is not true to Christ. No. He went he went willingly to the cross. He paid the fine that we were due. If a man jumps in the lake to save someone and dies, he ransomed his life for theirs. He saved them but in doing so paid the cost what it takes to save someone. If someone jumps in the pool it says, I'm going to show you how much I love you by dying for you and drowns while that person's just sitting on the edge of the pool. That's not love. That's not sacrifice. That's suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it says here, we are still held responsible for the sins we commit. And I just, the only thought that crossed my mind is who else would be responsible for the sins we commit? We commit them. But we mm-hmm. have an advocate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it says, at the end, each of us will pay for our deeds. There's no way around that. We are responsible for the totality of our actions. Yes, we are responsible for our actions. Um, I was reading in Second Corinthians 5.10, where it talks about how we, you know, believers will be re- recompensed for, according to his deeds in the body of the church. And the way I understand it is, we're not going to pay for our sins... Christ paid for our sins. Yes. We will pay for the deeds and answer for what we've done with what we've had while in the body of Christ. Yeah. Whereas a sinner, someone who dies outside of Christ, will be judged by their deeds. Mm-hmm. Will be judged by their deeds according to the law. Absolutely. And will be found guilty. Absolutely. So. Well, it seems at the end of each of us will have to pay for our deeds. It almost sounds work-based. It sounds... Yeah, that, that, that's kind of the conclusion I drew as well. There seems to be some idea that we're going to have to mm-hmm. pay for it, like work it off. It's, yeah, maybe she believes in the false thing of purgatory. But we don't know. I don't know. I don't want to draw that conclusion. And that might not be what she was trying to say. That's yeah. just how it comes across. That's just... That's just... A, as she says here, that might seem like a nitpicky point. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll go on to the next article, or next uh, paragraph, unless you have a note. I just, ha- I just have one, and it was going to be on, on um, the advocacy of Christ. Um, she says that we're responsible for the sins we commit. And, and I talked about it earlier in, in the other paragraphs of how we don't continue to willingly sin. We don't want to continue to live in sin um, habitually. Mm-hmm. But because we are man and because we are fallen, we sin. 
That's not, not an excuse to sin, but we sin. But we have to remember at First John 1, um, sorry, verse, First John 2, 1 through 2 says that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now that we have been renewed, we love righteousness. We love the righteousness we once hated, and we hate the sin we once loved. Um, not that we should go on sinning, but when we do, we are still secure in Christ Jesus. Yes, every sin that we commit, we should repent. We should ask for forgiveness. We should turn from it. We should have a hatred for the sin that we commit. But we can't continue to dwell on that sin. We have to dwell in the goodness of Christ and and the sufficiency of Christ Mm -hmm. and his work on the cross. Would you guys agree with that? Yep. Yeah. Okay, now we can move on. All right. So the author continues, When we look at the world now, we can tell that it is yet to be saved. There is still so much evil and hurt in this world, and it's easy to see simply by watching the news. Dying on the cross did not save us from the darkness of today's society, and those who choose not to believe in Jesus and commit sins freely will answer for their actions. Jesus didn't take the sins on himself to set each of us free. It was only to open a pathway for us to forgive for them. I assume she's saying for us to be forgiven for them. Um, do you want me to continue the next paragraph as well? Um, I got some I got some points like here. Ben's tie, got some points in. here. Okay. But. okay, no, then we'll... Well, uh, I'll just rip through some, some quick notes. Um, she says that uh, we can tell the world has yet to be saved. There's still so much evil and hurt. Um, that's evident. Uh, she says by simply watching the news. I say by simply reading Psalms 14 and 53. Um, it's That's just going to be the way it is. But um, you can see it on the news. I agree. You can also see it on the yeah. news. It is evident there as well. Uh, dying on the cross did not save us from the darkness of today's society. That's correct. It saved, uh, it saved those who repented of eternal damnation in hell and saved them to an eternity in heaven with God the Father. Um, and those who choose not to believe in Jesus and commit sins freely will answer for their actions. That's also correct. John 3.18 says, Those who don't believe are condemned already, for they have not believed in the, uh, the, only, son of, uh, the, the only Son of God. I don't think I, I'm missing a word in that. In, in the name of the only Son of God? Yeah. Um, it, and Jesus didn't take the sins on himself to set each of us free. Um, it was only to open a pathway for us to forgive them. Um, I mean, I have a few things wrong with that. Yeah, well, I mean, he did set us free from sin and bondage, and set us free to a life in Christ. Yeah. So, depending on what your definition of, of free is. Yeah. So, I also got some notes for here. Um, starting in the beginning of the paragraph, when we look at the world now, we can tell that it has yet to be saved. Well, Matthew seven. 13 and 14 says enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it so yes the world has yet to be saved Mm -hmm. true Christians are saved true Christians are secure we're on the path the Christians are on, on, on the narrow path going through the narrow gate if we look at Romans 3, 9 through 18, it talks about, let me 
just read this for you. What then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If that is not a totality description of man, I, I don't know what is. But we know that we know that those that are in Christ by their fruit. And, and the last point here, just on part where Jesus didn't take the sins on himself to set each of us free. It was only to open a pathway for us to forgive them. Being a slave to sin implies that sin was our master. John 8.31 Let me quickly get there. I should really have these notes like more on the, the ready side of things, but let me read this for, for y'all. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. And just two more quick quick passages here of about Jesus apparently not taking sins on himself to set us free. Uh, we'll go to Galatians 5. Found it. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. In Romans 8, 1 through 8. We need music while I search for these things. It's like whole music. <laughs> Therefore there is no or now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we have been set free. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, a, there's another passage where you 
talked about uh, uh, being slave to sin or, or to righteousness, and, and Paul reiterates that in, in the, the latter end of, of Romans seven or sorry Romans six, um, starting with verse fifteen, he says, "What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but uh, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether." of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness but god god be thanked uh, that through you that the, or sorry that though you were slaves of sin yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin you became slaves of righteousness so like one will not have a part of the other there's no one in the middle i just want to add my two cents on that paragraph <laughs> um <laughs> So I'll take a piece. It says, dying on the cross did not save us from the darkness of today's society. And that wasn't the point. Yep. That's not why he did it. Yeah. Okay, next paragraph. Oh, wow, that was a short point. <laughs> it was direct and it was really? accurate. Just, I just wanted to add. I, was, it was I skipped over that because I didn't really think it deserved the, the time of day. But I basically said the same thing. It gives us hope in the midst of the wickedness. Like that Scripture gives us hope. Alright, mm-hmm. next paragraph. Alright. You may be asking yourself, why then did Jesus die on the cross? After this reading this, incredib- yes, I was definitely asking that. <laughs> <laughs> this is an incredibly valid question for many Christians. There are many political reasons as to why he died. Sorry. Braden was doing a face palm and I just couldn't help it. Uh, continues. There were many political reasons as to why he died on the cross. Jesus died because he had offended those in power, challenging the status quo, and refused to step aside. Jesus knew what he was doing, and he knew that his actions would ultimately cause his death. He knew he was being viewed as a threat from the government at the time, and predicted how his crucifixion would take place. As John 15.13 states, however... No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. And before we, before I throw it over to you guys, first of all, I just want to say, Jesus was not a social justice warrior. <laughs> Jesus was, is far greater than Colin Kaepernick. Can we just move on from that point? <laughs> he was not a, a Middle Eastern... Uh, Bible Times, Colin Kaepernick. No. Yeah. That's... Not to rag on Colin Kaepernick, but when you think about um, today's protesters, he's definitely at the forefront. Jesus was not a political figure. No. Um, he may have been like seen in politics. Um, he used them to fulfill his purpose. Sure. But he was not a political figure. I just want to add that it's as there that he was the threat from the government. He was seen as a threat from the government. But if you read the accounts when he's brought before Herod and before Pilate, neither of them saw him as a threat. No, they found no neither, fault. They found no fault. They, they had no reason to crucify him. P- Pilate washed his hands of the whole situation. Like he's just yeah. Not, Matthew twenty-seven eleven through twenty-six gives that account. Pilate, Pilate and his wife both said, "We're not." We're not a part of this. Mm-hmm. Because they asked him if he was who he said he was. And he says, yes. It is as you say. It is as you say. So he's 
to suggest that the people in power, like I, I understand she's probably talking about the Pharisees. Yeah, she's they talking really, about Jewish leaders. Yeah, that is, but, but that's not the. But you're under the, the, the Jewish people at the time were under the power, of the Romans. Mm-hmm. So they brought to Roman court, where he washed the his hands of the whole thing because he did not find fault. He was in power at the and time. And he even sent them to the government of the jurisdiction that Jesus is from. Yeah. To Herod. And Herod also found no fault. He died because it was necessary for salvation. He did not mm-hmm. die for political gain. He did not die for the sake of um, wanting, you know... Some type of power trip or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that didn't come out as clean as I wanted it to. But, but she tells us why in the very next statement. It's not actually part of the next paragraph. It's put close together, but it wasn't that paragraph. She ha- ended saying that John fifteen thirteen states, No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then she states Jesus died on the cross to show us what love truly looks like in action. And first of all, my statement that I have is this. Like Braden mentioned earlier with the guy jumping in the lake, it doesn't make sense. But my question is, how is it a loving sacrifice? Like, how is it a love in action if it was not to set us free, as she said, or it was not for our sins, as she said, but rather was because of political reasons and because of his own actions. How is that then? What sacrifice is he doing? What act of love is that? He's just dying then for political reasons and his own actions. Like, it makes no sense. She, it, it, this article, I know for a fact, it's frustrated all of us because it kind of just, it contradicts itself and it goes back and forth mm. while also never coming to the actual truth it's well let's go over a few reasons why he did why he did die Romans 4 verse 25 talks about Jesus dying to justify us before the father um, as does Hebrews 9 verse 28 he was the lamb of God sent to be a living and holy sacrifice. It served an eternal purpose. Hebrews 10, 7 through 10 says, Charge! <laughs> Alright. Hebrews 10 Oh man, did I have this right? I did. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written, to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings, and whole burnt offerings, and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come, to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sent by by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all 
serves an eternal purpose. He is pleasing the will of God. That's why I get so caught up with this whole he, this idea today that Jesus was a social justice warrior and that he would have, you know, um, been marching the streets with um, the LGBTQ community and this idea that he would protests. be um, supporting things like abortion is flat out wrong. Like, that's the kind of stuff that angers me. <laughs> mm -hmm. If Jesus was simply a social justice warrior, as Derek said, um, his work would have been in vain. Like, all his work would be dead. Yeah. We we have no idea what happened. Like, the, like not that we have no idea, but there's very little fruit of the political act, po political acts of of the of Israel in that time. Um, so if he was a social justice warrior, he didn't do his job. Obviously, he that wasn't his job. That's not what he came here to do. So I'm not sure. Do you have any other notes on that? I, I have one more note, and it 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 probably seems a little nitpicky as well, but it's a I don't know why it it, it just it, it kind of belittles his stature as God and all-knowing um, where he says he knew he was being viewed as a threat from the government at the time and predicted how his crucif crucifixion take place. God does not predict. Prophesy. Yeah, he... <laughs> he's he he's the beginning and the end. He stated that this was going to happen. He is God and he is the Alpha and the Omega in the That's beginning right. and the yep. end. Revelations 22. Yeah. So... I, I apologize. I don't mean to just like absolutely tear this thing apart, but at the same time, if you're going to make such bold um, articles like this to say that Jesus didn't die for for our sin for payment of our sins, I'm going to have my reservations against it. Mm -hmm. All right. As we continue, I'm going to do the next two article or new two. I'm sorry, I can't speak today. Paragraphs. I'm going to do the next two paragraphs together because they kind of tie into each other. So, uh, God is love. And the most important lesson Jesus teaches us is that when we act in unloving ways, we distance ourselves from God. When asking yourself if something you do would be considered a sin, you should ask yourself if the action comes from a place of love. If it doesn't, then it's pulling you farther away from living like Jesus. Sin is what takes us further away from God, and those actions are void of love. The way Jesus led his life here on earth, he was able to show great examples of what love looks like, from feeding those who were hungry to befriending those who were cast out by society. Jesus went above and beyond to help those that needed it the most. He offered them love and hope when no one else would. His life was a perfect example of what love in action can do for others. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit. All right. um, I'm going to give you the floor because before we even started this thing, I knew this part amped you up quite a bit. So I'm just going <laughs> to let you get going. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you definitely noted it before we actually started to hit the record button. So uh, I, uh, I definitely have some res re reservations here. 
um, with the first statement, God is love. Uh, that is true. God is love. But there's a lot of a lot of other attributes that God encompasses other than just love, including justice, right? And so we, we can't just use this blanket statement, say God is love, and so that anything that he does um, is loving the way we see love. So that's a very dangerous uh, way to look at it. Um, um, and then there's the next statement that says, and the most important lesson that Jesus teaches is that when we act in unloving ways, we distance ourselves from God. No, that's not the most important lesson. We already are in sin. We already distance ourselves from God. Like Romans 3 says it very clearly, uh, we, don't, we don't seek after God. Uh, the most important lesson that Jesus teaches is that we are unloving, is that we are sinful people, and that we need to repent of our sinful nature and believe in him. That is the gospel. Um, that that like not that we shouldn't be loving. Of course, we should be loving. Um, but our very sinful nature doesn't just distance ourselves from God. It completely cleaves it off. We there there's there's a completely um, impassable gap there that outside of Christ we cannot. Like there's a chasm. There's no way we can get across. Um, and uh, uh, when asking yourself if you if <laughs> something you would be Oh, I'm going to try not to butcher this. When asking yourself if something you do would be considered a sin, you should ask yourself if the action comes from a place of love. Again, incorrect. What is your view of love? Um, and I'll, I'll give this, this uh, you know, because sin is always sin, regardless of your opinion on it. And it, it doesn't change anything. You could, you could um, lovingly um, cheat on your wife, depending on who you're loving. Um, and it depends on, on whose perspective. That's why we need God's perspective that says it's wrong, it's sin. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, I got one more. Um, the, the, the last one, if it, uh, if it doesn't, then it's pulling you uh, further away from living like Jesus. Um, and I would say sin is always pulling you away from living like Jesus, um, regardless of whether you think it's loving or not. Um, and your sinful nature is always pulling you away from Christ because it's trying to cleave you off of Christ. So um, it, it, there's no, it's not a spectrum. It's either you're in Christ or you're not. Uh, there's, it's pretty black and white. Yeah. yeah. And that statement where it says, when asking yourself if something you do would be considered sin, you should ask yourself if the action comes from a place of love. It almost said, sounds like instead of worrying if it's a sin, worry more if it comes from a place of love. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you can sin in love. You can, you know, what about the love of self, or the love of your sin, mm-hmm. the love yeah. of money, etc. Condoning other sin, um, and you see that with um, apparently pro-abortion mm-hmm. Christians, air quotes, um, you know, stuff like that. It's like that's not love. Yeah, and the way I. I put a note here, and the way I, I see it is sin comes from a love of self or a love of our sin. It comes of of that love being higher and greater than our love for God. It's like we, you know, we're, yes, if, if someone is in sin, they are enslaved to sin. But they still love it. They love their sin. Mm-hmm. And that's why the gospel offends them. That's why they they hate the gospel because it tells them that they're wrong. That you can't love that. You can't do that. Yeah. I'm just gonna move. Just uh, we can always flip right back. But I was just gonna move to that second part, mm-hmm. that second paragraph that you had read there. Yeah, I was done on that first part. Uh, <laughs> it it gives this 
uh, idea that uh, he just showed love by by miracles. He just showed love by feeding people, by um, befriending, befriending, and and stuff like that. He didn't just show love by being nice. He showed love by rebuking those around him, mm-hmm. by um, flipping the tables of the money changers in the temple, by upholding God's place of worship, he, by living with a godly love, which is very different than our worldly view of love. That is how he, it, it wasn't just about being nice. It wasn't just about miracles. It wasn't just about signs and wonders. And that's something right. we get very caught up in. Mm-hmm. And he warned of false teachers. He gave his own life. That's showing love. Mm-hmm. But he gave his own life so that we may be redeemed. Not for, I'm just going to go right back, not for political reasons. Mm-hmm. And in feeding and befriending and he wasn't just showing love he was you know in those miracles and things like that he was showing his deity he was showing who he was yeah mm-hmm. his attributes wasn't just about showing love his but attributes in so much of today's christianity and i do that with air quotes um so much of it is just love 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 but they don't see the absolute holiness and righteousness and justice and you know all of the attributes of God they just focus on the one that makes it easy and comfortable the one uh, the one line I really want to hone in on here it's uh, um, share with that uh from feeding those who are hungry and befriending those who are cast up by society, Jesus went above and beyond to help those that needed it most. He offered them love and hope when no one else would. Now, that makes it sound like that there's people that didn't need love and hope. They had love and hope. Um, and that's that's false. Um, every single human being in the world needs the love and hope in Christ. If you don't have it, you're going to you're going to find out in eternity. Um, and, and so it's it's not just that he was showing love and hope to like the outcasts. Um, his love was shown for humanity on the cross. Uh, so it, it's not just a group like it's. It's not just that he's showing like just you know social outcasts that hey, you can be cool too. Um, mm. It's that you need Christ. You need to repent. He didn't heal and feed everyone either. Right. You know, there's more. The Bible says that you know in John that there's more miracles done than what's written in the Bible, mm-hmm. that it would take books and books and books to fill it. Um, but the Bible is clear that, you know, he healed some, but didn't heal everyone there. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes to a crowded place, he heals one guy, and then he, you know, left. Left, because, yep. you know, the crowd started to turn. It's not, he didn't heal every single per- like, he wouldn't heal everyone, he didn't feed everyone, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He did great miracles, like you said. Um, Lots of them. But his purpose was not to do miracles. No, um, his purpose was to present to us and the gospel and to fulfill the gospel. Yeah. Um, and that is the greatest miracle of the Bible. Um, there's plenty of great miracles in the Bible, but the greatest one is the gospel message itself. Yeah. 
right. Well, should Let's we move go on? on? To the, move on to the last two paragraphs. Should, do we just want to throw the last two together in one? Yeah. One go around here. One go around. Two. All right. All right. Jesus dying on the cross was a sacrifice he made for us. Him doing so gave us the opportunity opportunity to ask for forgiveness for our sins and enter into heaven once we had passed. We only have a pathway to heaven because of the loving sacrifice that Jesus made for the world. We are still responsible for what sins we commit, but by turning to Jesus, we now have a way to take that weight off of our shoulders. Jesus did not save... Jesus did die to save us from our sins, but it wasn't a moment that wiped us clean from all responsibility. Instead, the Bible says that Jesus came to take away our sins, John 1 verse 29, so that we would no longer be sinners. Jesus' death showed us just how amazing God's love is for us. He gave us an opportunity, an opportunity to escape the evils of the world and be re- reunited with our Father in heaven. Jesus' death paved the avenue for us. I just have to comment again. It now says Jesus did die to save us from our sins. But the title of the article, and early on in the article, it says that he did not die to save us or to set us free. He did not die for our sins. And so that's why I have such a big struggle with this article. I'm thoroughly confused. Because it doesn't challenge me in the way of challenge my theology or challenge my faith it challenges my mental capacity to read contradictory statements like i yeah i read it the first or the first time you had read it to us derek me and ben had looked at each other like wait but she said that differently two two paragraphs ago and so i'm not meaning to rag on her it's not that's not my point but like if you have a point, please stick to it so that if if you do need correcting, if you do need, um, and like we all need correcting, we all need to be um, reproved, rebuked, and ex- and exhorted, right? Mm-hmm. We all need it. Um, so, like, yeah, there's not really much of a point that I have here other than it was difficult for us to um, grasp because right at the end it seems to have switched from the beginning but yeah well and there's there's probably more more true statements in that last paragraph or last two paragraphs than the rest of the the article um the one thing i really wanted to to point out um where where it's written here but it wasn't a moment that wiped us uh clean from all responsibility now that's true um we're, we're still responsible we're still called to live um in accordance to the scriptures the way Christ has taught us. Um, we're still called to be um, followers. We've been wiped uh, clean from sin, not responsibility. So we're, we're still called to live responsibly. Uh, so to say that you know that we're, we don't have responsibility is, is incorrect, or that there's any any I don't know inclination in, in the penal substitutionary atonement um, doctrine that, that there isn't. Mm-hmm. And one thing she said it says there is, um, well, two statements really. It's him doing so gave us the opportunity to ask forgiveness for our sins and enter into heaven once we had passed. And you brought up on Sunday, Ben, or the other day that we read this, 
think that was over a week ago now. Yeah. Uh, but um, you had said that you know that you you assumed that was passed away, like died, like once we had died. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that's the case, because <laughs> otherwise it sounds like passing some sort of test in order to. Are you holy enough? Yeah. And then later on, you're not. <laughs> later on, it says uh, the Bible came, and or the Bible says Jesus came to take away our sins. Which contradicts her earlier statements, but still, it does say that in, in John one twenty nine, uh, and then it says so that we would no longer be sinners. And in one way, I understand what's being said there, but in the totality of this article, in the context of it, it sure sounds a lot like perfectionism, like that we will be perfect and we will mm-hmm. be without sin. Yep. And the Bible is against that. Like the Bible says that. If we say we have no sin, then we make God a liar. Yeah. Like we deceive ourselves. And so I'm hoping that's not what was meant there. I, I, I can only assume, right? I don't know yeah. the intentions, but I'm truly hoping that's not the intent there. Yeah. So we didn't really want this episode to go like incredibly long. It went longer than we wanted, but we wanted, it was going to be just a a quick um, rebuttal, but we have studied it and we made plenty of notes regarding it. And so um, we hope that, that what we've said, you know, can, can bless you and and, um, can be kind of a, um, an eye opener in, in some way, shape, or form, but I would say that uh, that well, I'm just I'll say that Jesus died as a ransom for our sin on our behalf. Yes, Derek. Uh, I feel like I'm being called on in class. Um, we don't act. We don't do this lightly either. You know, we don't take this lightly. We're not um, trying to rag on this author. In fact, no. we ask that you pray for her. Um, yeah. I don't know her name, but it doesn't matter. Pray for her. Pray for those who believe this. Um, yeah. And we don't, we don't take our opportunity in front of these microphones lightly. I can know I can speak for myself, and I assume I can speak for these two guys as well is that I the way I feel when I step or sit before this mic um, and I don't ever want to feel comfortable I feel like I'm getting you know I'm okay talking into it now and I'm getting used to it but I don't want to feel comfortable um, you know I want to it reminds me of that uh, John Knox quote the Squat- Scottish reformer where he said I never fear the devil but I tremble every time I take the pulpit and it's the same way I feel and I'm sure I can speak for you too as well. Absolutely. Um, But we don't want to get comfortable in the way that we start taking things lightly. We take this very seriously. We know that one day we are going to answer to God for everything we say. Yep. uh, In this, you know, in in life, but especially in this public setting. Um, So we don't take this lightly and we ask that you give us feedback. We ask that if we're wrong, we want to be corrected. Um, and we ask most importantly that you don't just take our word for what we say, but do like the Berians and seek the scriptures to see if it's true. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. So, as we wrap up here, I uh, will say that next week we want to um, finish the second half of Romans 1. Um, we're excited to get right back into that. And we hope that uh, you would join us in doing so. And so, as we're closing, I just want to let you know that we are on Instagram at Gospel Enthusiasts. We are on Facebook at the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast, and we are everywhere that you can um, listen to us, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, and and all sorts of others. Uh, We thank you so much for your support. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you that uh, you give us um, feedback and correction when we need it. We we truly appreciate the blessing it is that we can come and and, and, um, speak God's word and share the gospel with with uh, with everyone. So that being said, we hope you have a good day, evening, night, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> and uh, God bless. Have a good one. Talk to you later. <laughs>